Awesome. Awesome. Well, it is such an honor to be with you guys here today that you would allow a Colts fan in your presence. Uh, I do appreciate that. I really do. Um, now, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, really uh, just have a, a deep love for this university, for so many of your faculty, for your president. I'm uh, just honored to serve on the Board of Regents here and and just to feel like I'm a part of this community, you know, with Emma that graduated from here in 21. And then if all goes well, I, I may even be starting in your master's program in January as well. So I may be a student. So um, don't tell anybody that, right? But I'm, I'm here and excited to be kicking off this week of, of Marketplace Chapel, of Cobat Chapel. Uh, it's one of the things I, I love to do and that I get to do from time to time because, because we are Marketplace people, uh, we get to encourage... Um, Believers, really Christians in this arena of faith and work and the role of the marketplace in God's mission in the world. And so we're going to kick off today with just a, what I call like a brief theology of work. Um, and this isn't just for the Cobat students today, all right? This is something we all need to grasp more deeply as believers. Um, and it's not something I really grew up talking about or hearing about, but it's important, I believe, if we're going to live robust Christian lives, if we are going to be the first fruits of God's coming kingdom through Christ, if we're going to preach the gospel to all nations, then we've got to grasp what it means to be marketplace believers. So we just got a few minutes today. I'm going to go over a couple of just uh, highlights with you, all right? Um, really on, on how we can look and see the marketplace, reimagine the marketplace in the business world in light of the gospel. But before we do that, can we just pray together really quick. Lord, I just ask that you would come and be in our midst today. We thank you that you promised that you would be here. And I pray, Lord, that, that what I'm going to share today would be more than just thoughts or ideas or concepts, but Lord, they would be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. God, that you would encourage us, Lord, and mobilize us, all of us, Lord, for your great name and all of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, um, I have a confession. I have a definitive psychological disorder. And they've given me a microphone, so don't be afraid, all right? But I have, I have what's known, known as brumotactilophobia. I think they're going to put it on the screen. There it is. It's 19 letters long. I'm glad you had the wide screen in here so you could fit my psychological disorder on it. I'm wondering if, if any of you have this as well, because brumotactilophobia is the fear of your food touching. Anyone have this? Right? There, is, there is nothing worse than the juice from your green beans seeping into your mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I want to ask a question. Who makes you put cold salad on the same plate as your hot food? This is disgusting. It is uncivilized. It is wrong on so many levels. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one, right? But that's why I love these, these trays, these lunch trays. Do you remember these? Remember these from elementary school, middle school? You had the big rectangle for your frozen chicken nuggets and your tater tots. Small square for your mashed potatoes. Square with the little indented circle for your milk carton. Kept your gravy properly socially distanced from all your other food. Right? This is how all food should be served in modern civilization. All food. No fraternizing between food groups, right? 
But see, I, I want to tell you something. While these trays are a great way to serve a hot meal, my preferred way to serve a hot meal, they are a horrible way for us to think about our Christian lives. And yet many of us instinctively do, don't we? We, we, we mentally split our lives up into sacred and secular partitions. We call this the, the sacred-secular divide. Did you know this is actually a, a modern form of ancient Gnosticism? That the church has been fighting since the first century? The, the Gnostics believed that spirit was good, but matter was, was evil. And it was a threat to early Christianity. But we do the exact same thing in our own ways today. We partition, we partition our lives. We might say it something like this, right? We might say, uh, I'm, I'm an accountant. That is my secular job. But I, I work in the kids' ministry at church, and that is my, my sacred calling or my sacred ministry. Or, or I'm a coffee shop barista. That is my secular work. But I, I sing on the worship team, and that's really where my, my ministry life comes out, right? Or I'm a construction contractor. That's my secular job. But, but I lead a small group at church, and, and that's really where my sacred calling manifests. You see, there's this unspoken partitioning, I think, in Western Christianity that says the work we do in the church is sacred, and the work we do in the marketplace is secular or just worldly, and while I would say that there is something unique about the ecclesiastical call to full-time ministry, right, this sacred-secular divide and this sacred-secular thinking, it's bad theology. It's an abbreviation of the full redemptive narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe it's one of the many reasons that so many believers that work in the marketplace, they struggle with meaninglessness, in their everyday work. Because outside of maybe the money you make and can give to ministry work, most marketplace Christians see no connection between the actual work that they do every day and their passion to follow Jesus. That's why I love this quote from the great Oswald Chambers. You may know him from my utmost for his highest. Oswald Chambers said, the spiritual manifests itself in a life that knows no division into sacred and secular. So if we're truly going to be the people of God, the people of God, if we're going to embrace our calling to be the first fruits of Christ's coming kingdom, if we're going to water the earth, as President Hagen likes to say, with the glory of God, and I believe if we're going to see the Great Commission fulfilled in this generation, we must tear down this pagan, sacred, secular divide, and all of us embrace our missional kingdom calling as the people of God. Those in ecclesiastical pastoral ministry, missionaries on the mission field, and every marketplace believer working in every sphere of this life. And this means we have to embrace the fullness, the power, the all-encompassing beauty of the gospel. And so good work theology starts with reminding ourselves of the whole gospel message. Let's look at Colossians 1, 19 and 20. I love this verse. It says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled, what? Everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, the gospel redeems all things, including 
the work of our hands. So that means if you are here to study and go into a career and you're going to be a fourth grade teacher, or you're going to be a pastor at a church, or you're going to be a biologist, or you're going to be a missionary to an unreached people group, if you're going to be a property manager or an entrepreneur, or you're going to be in full-time ministry or full-time marketplace, reconciled to Christ, your work is sacred. Your work can be resurrected, reimagined, and embraced as part of God's kingdom mission in this world. The gospel redeems and resurrects all things. So in, in the remaining time together, I got, three, I got three points, so you can count them down with me, and you know when it's time to go to lunch, okay? All right? So number one, I just want to give you three biblical perspectives, three little nuggets to walk away with today. Um, and I hope they just help you reimagine this concept of the marketplace through the lens of the gospel. The first, the first one, this one was revolutionary to me. In the beginning, in the beginning, there was work. In the beginning, at, at the genesis of the universe, of the earth itself, of mankind, there was work. Work was God's idea. And this was revolutionary for me, right? I, I had never really contemplated the origin story of everyday work. In fact, I would say I, I just assumed it. It was a bit of an assumed theology. So you think back to your old Sunday school class. Back when I was a kid, it was flannel graphs. You, did you guys have flannel graphs? Right? You know, I, I don't know what we thought Adam and Eve did all day, right? But I guess the, the flannel graph picture that I had in my head was that they just kind of kicked back in the Garden of Eden Scrolled through TikTok, you know, watched some Netflix, posted funny videos of the newly named animals on Instagram. I, I don't know, right? But, but in my mind, the Garden of Eden was just a permanent vacation. It was just a permanent vacation, right? But see, work was actually part of God's original design for his creation. And this is not some evil conspiracy that the corporate CEOs put me up to, okay? I wanna, we're going to look at Scripture together. Let's look at it together. Genesis 2. 1 through 3, and then verse 15. We're gonna, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on, on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We've seen a pattern here, right? But then jump to verse 15. This is what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and keep it. Now, you don't have to be a theology student here to do some simple math, okay? We are in Genesis chapter 2. The whole tree and the fruit and the serpent and the fall of man, that doesn't happen until chapter 3, <laughs> And see, here's what I want you to grasp today. Work, what we know as everyday work, is not some post-fall punishment for sin. It was part of God's original design for mankind. And now the brokenness with which we often experience our work, that's a result of sin, but not, not the work itself. Not the work itself. See, we weren't created to sit on clouds and play harps all day. All right, you guys may be too young to remember, but there used to be a time when cartoons were only on Saturday morning, okay? It was the only time you could watch cartoons, right? And I love this, this old cartoon series called the Looney Tunes. You guys have heard of Looney Tunes, right? Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote. 
Occasionally, one of these characters, you know, maybe, maybe Elmer Fudd, would uh, meet his demise during a wascally wabbit hunting accident, maybe. And he would float up into heaven, like this picture, on a cloud. Sometimes he had a halo over his head, and, and he'd be, you know, he'd be playing a harp. And let me tell you, this is really bad eschatology, okay? This is really, really bad eschatology. It's, it's uh, getting your end times understanding, your understanding of heaven from uh, Saturday morning cartoons. But this really confused me, right? Because if Adam and Eve just laid around in a garden all day before sin came into the world, and heaven, where we spend eternity, is all about laying on clouds and, you know, uh, heart playing, then what in the world is this 40 years of hard labor that we're sentenced to in between? <laughs> you know, this work thing has to be some kind of a mistake, right? Like work has to be punishment from God. But this is not true. See, we were not created to lay around and play harps all day. We were created to dream and build and serve and cultivate and problem solve. We were created to make culture and add value to the world and the, the people all around us. See, is work broken by sin? Absolutely. Thorns and thistles are a part of the curse for sure. But is work punishment for our sin? No. We were made to work and keep God's creation. This is the human vocation. This is part of our original design as mankind. Right? So in the beginning, there was work. Work was God's idea, and this is foundational uh, as we kick off this Kobat week, Marketplace week. This is foundational for your understanding of the marketplace and its sacredness in God's kingdom. Right? So in the beginning, there was work. Number two, our everyday work is a partnership with God. So you and I are engaged in a joint venture with the creator of the universe. Let's look at another verse from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis one twenty eight. it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God told us to subdue and have dominion. Have you ever wondered why God didn't create houses and streets and cities and cultures and businesses and universities? You know, why did he just make the raw materials? Why didn't God just do it all himself? I mean, certainly he would have done a much better job <laughs> than we have done with it. But see, it's, it's our job. See, part of our creation mandate as image bearers of God is to partner with him in the care and cultivation of his world. We are vice regents. A, a vice regent is a person who acts in the place of another authority. See, we are intended to create with God's creation. We bring together raw materials, we, we form them, we reform them, we develop and grow, and we partner with God as his image bearers and vice regents as makers of culture and caretakers of humanity. And this is true from the simplest of jobs to the most complex. Our work is meant to be part of God's ongoing work in the world. 
So I, I love this quote from Pastor Tim Keller in his highly recommended book on this subject called Every Good Endeavor. I'm going to read this to you. It's kind of a long quote, but I just want you to see if you can find maybe a little nugget of uh, something that resonates with you in here. He says, if, if we're to be God's image bearers with regard to creation, then we will carry on his pattern of work. His world is not hostile so that it needs to be beaten down like an enemy. Rather, its potential is undeveloped, so it needs to be cultivated like a garden. And that is the pattern for all work. It is creative and assertive. It is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And this pattern is found in all kinds of work. Check this out. Farming. Farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an uninformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take simple materials and turn them into a poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. Or to go back a, a few more centuries, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Revolution, he summed it up much more succinctly. I love this. He said, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. He said, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. God is milking the cows. And we could say, you know, God is educating children through the vocation of the teacher. God is housing people through the vocation of the apartment owner and manager. God is healing people through the vocation of the biologist. God is raising children through the vocation of the stay-at-home parent. God is clothing people and feeding people and providing for people through all kinds of everyday marketplace work. I mean, how would it change your feelings about business in the marketplace if you saw it this way. So in the beginning, there was work. Number two, our everyday work is a partnership with God. And then finally, number three, when we work, we have the opportunity to fulfill the great commandment. So go on a quick little detour with me here for a second, all right? So one of the dangers of all of us as sinful, broken humanity is that we make idols. We make idols. I'm, I'm not talking about little golden statues. You know, if I put one of those in my backyard, my homeowners association would not be happy, right? I'm not talking about little golden statues. I'm talking about objects of our worship. I'm talking about God replacements. So I Am I the only one that's ever been shocked reading through the book of Exodus at the blatant stupidity of the Israelites? Does this ever resonate with you? Like, you know, 
They've been in Egyptian slavery for 400 years, and all of a sudden, God comes along with these miraculous, supernatural plagues, and they are released from Egyptian cat- captivity. They are, they are running out of Egypt, and they come to the, to the Red Sea, and they can't get across, and what does God do? He, he parts the Red Sea, and Scripture says he walked through, they walked through on dry land. They get to the other side. They're in the wilderness. There's a, a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. All they got to do is go where the pillar goes, and God leads them tangibly through the wilderness. Their breakfast, lunch, and dinner are miraculously on the ground outside their tent each morning. I mean, I, I like to think it was early recipe Chick-fil-A, you know? <laughs> Yet what happens? What happens? As soon, as soon as Moses heads up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, <laughs> what do they do? They, they take off all of their gold jewelry, they pull it together, they form it and fashion it into a, a golden calf, and they bow down and they worship it. How dumb are these people? I mean, the very presence of God is in their midst each and every day, yet their hearts turned away and worshiped the work of their own hands. And then the Lord whispers in my spirit, hey, Eric, you do the exact same thing. Because, see, uh, an idol is anything we place our trust in or find our identity in outside of God himself. See, the the root of sin is not bad behavior, okay? Um, The root of sin is idolatry. It's wrong worship. And if I'm honest, I can attest to this battle in my own life each and every day. And our everyday work can become one of these idols. You know, we place our trust in our paycheck, We find our identity in the social status of our work. We define ourselves by what we do, maybe how early we get to the office or how fast we can clean out our inboxes or how many overtime hours we're willing to put in or how our particular line of work makes us feel in comparison to other people. But see, the gospel changes all of that. You see, when when Jesus died on the cross... Do you know what his last words were? It is finished, right? It is finished. The Greek word there in Scripture is tetelestai, tetelestai. Uh, some scholars believe this was actually a business term that means paid in full. And I actually have this picture here hanging over my desk in my office because I never want to forget that Jesus' finished work is the starting point for all of my work. See, this word has become so deeply meaningful to me that I did something crazy this last summer. Um, We were in Jerusalem with a group of people, and we heard about this 700-year-old tattoo shop in the old city that is now operated by the 28th generation of the same founding family. Shop is less than a half a kilometer from where Jesus died on the cross and spoke those words, it is finished. (laughs) So I'm 48 years old. I got my first tattoo. (laughs) I never wanted a tattoo. I never wanted my kids to have a tattoo. 
I arrogantly judged people with tattoos, but I couldn't pass up this moment. I couldn't pass this mo- up this moment to have it is finished, the foundational gospel reality of the Christian life symbolically stamped on me. See, we don't work to make ourselves right with God. We, we don't work to earn a name for ourselves. We don't work to create meaning for ourselves. We work from the place of it is finished. So when I find my identity where it belongs in Jesus Christ, then my everyday work can become what it was designed to be. I believe a daily opportunity when we go to work, we have a daily opportunity to fulfill the great commandment. You know what the great commandment is? Matthew 22, 36 through 40. They came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But see, when marketplace work is my idol, when my career is my identity, then it, devi- it, it defines my value, my acceptance, my status, my pride, or maybe even my shame. But see, when the gospel defines my life, then the gospel redeems my work. It redeems my identity and my worth. And my status is grounded eternally, not in what I do, but what in Jesus Christ has done for me. Then my work, no matter how wonderful or menial, can become what God intended it to be, which I believe is a fulfillment of the great commandment to worship God and love our neighbor. We get the opportunity every day, even as marketplace believers, in big and small ways to worship God and love people through our jobs, great or small. So in the beginning, there was work. Our work, our everyday work is a partnership with God, a joint venture with God. And when we work, we have an opportunity as believers to fulfill the great commandment. What if we all reimagined our everyday work this way? So I'm going to pray over you. I want you to stand with me. I'm just going to close with this. You know, I I really wrestled with my career trajectory. I know you guys are in a very formative season of your life. Right? I was a passionate young follower of Jesus. I, I wanted to please the Lord with my life and my career path. And I remember, you know, the called into ministry nights at summer youth camp. You know, listening, praying, you know, asking God if I, if I was called, if I was called into ministry. And I never felt like I was. I would tell my friends and family when they would ask, you know, I don't think I have a ministry call. I am just going into the secular workforce. And so that's what I thought I did. I got a business degree. I got married, started a nice job, and thought I would live the American dream, love my family, support my church, be a good Christian. Then I very unexpectedly ended up on staff at my church. Took two years of kicking and screaming, but my wife and I finally gave in and felt like a full-time church position was where God wanted us to move. And I remember the first time people started calling me pastor. Made me really uncomfortable. We served for 12 amazing years in full-time ministry on staff at a church and then for a short time as a church planter. And then God led me back into the marketplace, into a world of developing and managing apartments, a world of P&Ls and balance sheets and managing employees and meeting payroll, 
And then as much as I wrestled 12 years earlier with being called a pastor, when I went into full-time ministry, I now wrestled with not being a pastor when I found myself back in the marketplace. What does this have to do, Lord, with your work in the world? So it was kind of this weird identity crisis of sorts. You know, the gospel, God's kingdom, and the Great Commission, these were still my obsession, but I couldn't figure out how it all went together. And I, I don't claim to hear God audibly speak, but I did feel like he dropped this into my spirit. And I want all of you guys to hear this. You know, you and Cobat, you and every degree program here across this campus. I felt like God said, do you know, as a follower of Jesus, there is really only one vocation. There is one vocation, one calling. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling. And that is the glory of God amongst every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is the call for every believer, every follower of Jesus. And that vocation, it takes on many forms, accountants and engineers and pastors and financial advisors and property managers and farmers and missionaries and construction workers. You can fill in. You know, your day job here. But guys, there, there is one mission. There is one calling, one job description for all believers in the church, on the mission field, or in the marketplace. We worship God, we love our neighbors, and we make disciples of all nations. You know, not one aspect of the true Christian vocation has changed in 2,000 years. So my encouragement to you is no matter what trajectory God may have you on here today, we are all the people of God and we are all called to the mission of God in the church, on the mission field, and in the marketplace. And I believe, I believe we are called, all of us, to be the people of God, to the glory of God, to the ends of the earth. So I want to pray over you today. And I know this is Cobat Chapel Week. So if you're, if you're, in a non-ministry degree program. Can you raise your hand? Yeah. I want to pray over all of you, but I, I want to pray a real blessing to each of you that the Lord will help you shape your calling, your vocare, through the lens of the gospel today. So let me pray over you. Lord, I, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, and if we leave here seeing one thing today, may it be that. May it be you. But God, I just pray a prayer of blessing over every marketplace uh, person, every marketplace student in this room. I pray that you would bless them, that you would open their minds, that they would begin to explode with a gospel renewal of how their lives can embody and proclaim the kingdom of God to a lost and dying world. Lord, that they would see the actual work of their hands as something beautiful and sacred, Lord, you know, spreadsheets and, you know, uh, working with children and biology labs, Lord, that they would see all of these things as a sacred part of your kingdom and your glory and all of the earth. So, Lord, may we all come together as the people of God today, Lord, for your one mission in this world, to see your name glorified to the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing over them today in Jesus' name. And as we go, may you go with us. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.